Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we attempt to get out of the way and let the Bible speak, revealing the person and presence of King Jesus today. Welcome. Man, I liked worship this morning. I could stay in some of that worship. It's just good. It is just good. Thank Daniel and Missy, I don't know if you're in here, but thanks for the authenticity, openness, just powerful. Okay, so here's the question. We're in the book of Acts. Uh, we are rolling through. We're, we're going to finish uh, probably chapter one this morning. Um, and if you've never been with us, we actually just preach through the Bible and invite Jesus to interact with us in and through the Bible. Um, but, but what I'm wrestling with as I sort of move through the book of Acts is this question, and I'll probably come back to it at different points, but I would love for you to wrestle with it um, with me in your own life, in your own Jesus journey, um, but as we read it together. And so here, here's the question. How do we experience more of the Holy Spirit when we already have everything in Christ? How do we experience more of the Holy Spirit when we already have everything in Christ? And if you're like me, I would actually, um, there's points where I open up and I really share my heart. I even share my vulnerabilities. I share some of my failures. And the point is not to entertain you or even to make you laugh. Or, uh, but the point is actually to invite you into a more authentic and dangerous surrender in your own heart and in your own life so that you can begin to experience more of the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Because theologically, we already have everything in Christ. You know what I'm saying? But if you're like me, there's some days where you're like, I've got an awful lot of Michael Mattis and not an awful lot of Jesus or the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus. So that's, that's what we're going to kind of wrestle with this morning. Um, we left off in Acts 1, I think, um, 9, but we're going to pick up in verse 8, and we're going to try to read through this. And here's just a couple things I'm going to attempt to hit as we go through it. Um, we're going to talk about the crowning of King Jesus or the coronation. Um, we're going to talk about um, those who were at the church when it was launched, the, so the beginning of the church. Um, we're going to talk about Judas and replacing Judas, which is very unusual. And then we're going to talk about uh, Peter, the first pastor of the first church, sort of finding the will and way of God. And the question is always, as we read through the scriptures, how do we pivot those scriptures to apply and interact with our hearts in the here and now? Yeah? Okay. So here we go. I am going to... Uh, let's start in verse 8. Acts 1, verse 8. But you, who's you? Us, that's right, me, you, uh, all right. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you, who's you? All right, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can you guys, I'm reading out of the NIV, but can you say that with me? We're going to read that together, okay? That's Acts 1-8. Ready? One, two, three. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, um, but you are going to perform better and be more religious. Did I say that? You are going to get your mess together and you're going to act better and talk better and think better. Did it say that? What did it say? You will, there's one little word, receive. And if there's anything that we ought to kick this whole thing off with, it is, it is our obligation as believers to position ourselves to receive. In other words, most of what religion is about and most of what even many times we and every one of us do it, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. But it is so easy to reduce your own Christian faith to a set of external behaviors and do's and don'ts. And all of a sudden you're missing the heart posture. This is why Jesus said, be like a little child. What's a little child do? Receives. You ever seen a little newborn baby? What do they do? Eat. Sleep, poop, eat. 
You get it, right? Okay, I mean, like, go there just a second. So there is this idea that we have created unintentionally, and all of us who've walked with Jesus a long time can fall into it because we assume that after we've been doing things a long time that the things that we're doing are going to make us right with God or save us. But that's not what saves us. What saves us is receiving the finished work of God that was accomplished on the cross. So what is your job based on, I would actually say, if there's like a verse or a, um, I don't know, when I was in uh, school, you would write a paper, and at the beginning of the paper, you'd put like a little thesis or something, and so you, you, the entire paper would be based on the thesis. You know what I'm saying? Okay, the, the, here's the thesis for the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. So our job is to, number one, receive, and then the second thing is to become witnesses. To bear witness, to testify, to share with, to exude the love and life of Christ Jesus. So we, we put ourselves in this position of receiving um, and then bearing witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, we got it? Lord Jesus, would you break down some extra religion off of us today and allow us to become receivers like children? from your spirit, recognizing that we receive power from you when you come on us. Okay, verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going. Can you imagine? I just, like, think a second. They're standing there, and we, we're not going to get fully into this because we did it some of it last week. But they're standing there. Jesus is talking to them. He's given them this, like, task, receive, and then go be my witnesses. And then all of a sudden, he starts. He's taken up before their very eyes. Now, I just want to say a couple of things um, about this that I think are very, very important. Uh, when I get to heaven... Um, and I'm going to go there one day. And guess what? You are too. Like it or not. Uh, well, if you're in Jesus, you're going to go there. I hope to see you there. I hope we're all going. If we're in Jesus, we're, we're headed there. But you are going to pass over the, the, um, the finish line into eternity. Okay, so um, when I get to heaven, one of the things that I am going to do is I'm going to ask to see to experience, to understand what happened in the holy moment between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit when Jesus took off his crown and stepped into the form of a baby. Not just a baby, but like a growing little egg in Mary's womb. I'm not trying to be graphic, but I'm just saying he stepped out of all of his kingliness, right? He, he took it off. And I wonder what the interaction between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit was at that moment when he sheds his crown. What, what was that interaction like? What was that I would love to have been there? And I don't know, it's not in Scripture. This is all extra sort of biblical, but we know that it happened. Um, but, but I wonder if all the angels were, were assembled and were all standing and were watching as it happened, or if this was a secret thing that happened between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But, I, you know, heaven is a place that there are no tears, but I could only imagine some of what must have been going on in the heart of the Father as he sends the sun. You follow me? And then the other thing that I, would, uh, I want to see when I enter into eternity is when Jesus entered back into the gates of heaven. So Jesus is, go is being raised on these clouds. We just read it right in front of them. Uh, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him and ushered him into eternity with God. And I would love to uh, actually be standing in the courts of heaven. I hope they let me see it and experience it. Because what I imagine is all of the angel armies are assembled and standing at attention. And as King Jesus comes back in to put back on his crown, right? That there is such a like commotion and there is such an eruption of praise and holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you think it's loud at like a football game or a NASCAR race or at a soccer stadium in the World Cup. No, 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 no. This is like, can you imagine being in there when King Jesus comes in and he takes that crown back and he puts it on his head and he takes up his place as Lord of the universe, creator of heaven and earth. Like I cannot even imagine. 
And if I could see anything and experience anything, it is what happened on the other side of those clouds. Because I can only imagine that the angels are just extolling and praising and yelling. And there's a million tambourines playing and people are going for it. I mean, it must have been an amazing moment. And then take a step even further. The father's heart to run to and embrace his son who took the crown off, became a baby. I mean, to go from every bit of power in heaven and earth being yours, and Jesus was still fully God, fully man, but he started as a baby. We don't like to think of Jesus as like needy and colicky and crying in the night and needing a diaper change and needing to eat, but he was a... Guess what? He did! He was fully human. In other words, everything you and I have experienced, he experienced is what the word tells us. So Jesus sheds his crown as the Lord of life, steps into the form of this little infant and grows up for 30 years. And then he does in three years of work, um, what he, in three years, he, he accomplished everything, goes to a cross, is crucified, killed, buried in the ground, breaks the back of sin and death and hell, rips open the tomb, erupts from the tomb. But then not only that, he appears to 500 people over 40 days. He ties it up right here in Acts, and he, and he ascends on uh, this cloud back into heaven to take his place as, this is why I always say King Jesus, Okay, because he is. So if, if we were, um, I was just sort of looking this up, but if we were all um, uh, British, we would understand what a coronation or a crowning was all about. In fact, I'm told that on May 6th of 2023, Prince Charles is actually going to be crowned his majesty, the... King. Okay, so we in America, we don't really understand that very much, but when Queen Elizabeth passed away, I think she was 96 years old, she passed away in September, Queen Elizabeth II, she's passed away, there's this gap, and then there's a coronation ceremony, and uh, it's, it, I assume it's going to be amazing, I've never seen one. I didn't see when Queen Elizabeth got crowned. I'm, ga I'm guessing none of you, well, a couple of you, may, anybody? <laughs> Not live anyway, Okay. So, but I, 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 this is going to be an amazing event, and this is a country that actually understands the idea of his majesty, the same thing as when Jesus ascends on this cloud, his majesty, the king, Lord of heaven and earth, is returning home to the larger kingdom of God. And we've talked all about it, but you've got these um, small group of followers, some 500, who are fussing and who are upset and whose feelings are hurt because Jesus didn't overthrow Rome and Herod and rule the world from Palestine. You know what I'm saying? But instead, he's taking this, he's, he's, he's becoming crowned king, taking up his spot again in heaven. And this coronation then where is where all power now on heaven and earth, he's been fully human, lived all the temptations we lived. He now takes up his place um, as God in eternity, ruling and reigning sovereignty, sovereignly, his majesty, King Jesus. And there's going to be 50 days from this moment to the moment God the Father and God the Son sovereignly release another one of the Trinity. Who's that? The Holy Spirit back to us. So all authority, when Jesus takes up this crown and he's in the kingdom of heaven, he's in the larger paradise or heaven of God, he's, he and God the Father are there, and then they are going to send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and that is really what we're embarking on in this book of Acts. That's good. I think before I keep reading, the, and I said it, but I just would say it again. What was in God's heart after Jesus' 33-year trip? Like, we all laughed because I went to Hawaii to do missions work, and everybody laughed about that, right? But I was gone for nine days, and I came in the door, and what did my kids do? Jesus has gone 33 earth years. And he walks back into heaven. What did God the Father extend to him? I can only imagine God running to him. And if you go back to even what I was imagining, the angels standing, ovation, 
music, worship, God the Father. I just imagine him off the throne, running to his son, welcoming him back in, placing the crown upon his head, and Jesus takes up his place as king. Verse 10, back on earth. That's what, that's what happens in verse 10. Meanwhile, <laughs> who's they? That's the group of people. There's probably about 500 of them. Meanwhile, back on earth, they are looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, who are the two men dressed in white? Those are angels. If you're not a believer, if you're new to this Jesus thing, if angels make you nervous, there's a, there's a much larger, the Bible tells us, there's a much larger spiritual reality all around us. It includes Satan and his demons, who is a fallen angel. It includes God and his angels. And so they're standing there. And I, I you know, they're on this probably grassy hill right outside of Jerusalem. He's been taking up. They're looking intently into the sky as he was going. And suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee. And I should tell you this, um, uh, the, the Galilean sort of accent and idea is a little bit like a southern North Carolina accent in Manhattan. <laughs> or in like D.C. You know, you go up there and you say, hey, y'all. And everybody knows what? Yeah, well, Galilee's the same way. It's a little bit like southeastern North Carolina. Okay, y'all? All right, so men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And I, this is really hard because this is in some ways a rebuke. So everyone is standing there. They're staring into the sky. There's some 500 of them. They're looking up. And I, I mean, I imagine what is going on in some of their hearts and minds is like, what do we do now? And so these two angels step out of eternity into their present reality. And while the standing ovation is going on in heaven, the coronation is going on in heaven, and they say, um, uh, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back to you the same way you have seen him go up. If you want to make a note and cross-reference it, that's Revelation 1, 7. So they're, they're filling out a theology of how Jesus will return, number one. But they're also saying, hey, y'all get about. There's this little like, yeah, come on, like get, get about. And what are they saying get about? Go back to verse eight. What did he say? You will receive, number one. And then as a result of what you've received, you will be my witnesses, number two. That's right. So they are saying, Come on, y'all, stop staring off into the sky like you don't know what to do. This same Jesus who's been taken from you will come back the same way as you've seen him go. So, and then you get this idea that they just disappear. And you got everybody standing on the hill. The angels have just been there. Jesus is now gone. They're all standing there and the birds are chirping and the sun is shining. And it's like, what in the world do we do now? And I wonder who said first, I guess we just go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that Jesus promised. And I bet one of them said, what gift? How long do you think it's going to take? Are we just supposed to sit there? Verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. I'm going to make a distinction as I read this between the apostles and the disciples. So in other words, the, the apostles were the 12 apostles chosen by Jesus. Judas bailed out when he betrayed Jesus. So there's 11 apostles right now. But the disciples are all of the 500. Okay, make sense? Occasionally, we'll call the original disciples the 12. We'll call, instead of calling them the apostles, we'll call them disciples. But for, for purposes today, I want, to call, I want to think of the original 12 as apostles, and then I want to think of all of us who are in Christ as disciples. Okay, that's, that's just important. Okay, so they, they uh, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, which is a Sabbath day walk, which basically meant it was like a third of a mile. It was a short little walk um, from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Okay, those present were Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, 
and who? Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This is really interesting because um, earlier in the, in the Gospels, you actually see Jesus' mother at one point, and certainly his brothers and uh, at several points, where they distrust Jesus, they don't believe his ministry, and they actually are tearing it down. Believe that? So now it's really fascinating to me because what's happened is his own family is now there um, sort of uh, advocating and participating in the launch of this church. So let's, let's just unpack this for just a minute. Um, how many of you have a sibling, brother or sister? Okay. W- would any of your siblings uh, say that you're God? I, I, a few, it's been about two years ago. I think it was, it was pre-COVID. Maybe it was three years ago. I'm not sure. But anyway, I was at this, um, uh, the gym, and there was this older gentleman, and I was in a conversation with somebody, and I always said hi to this guy. I don't know. He was probably, I don't know how, I don't know how old he was, but um, really great guy. And we would talk all the time, whatever. Um, and he heard someone interact with me, and he found out I was a pastor. And he said to me, Michael, I love the Old Testament but I don't believe in the new. I don't believe in Jesus. I said, huh? I said, man, do you have any siblings? He said, yeah, I got a couple sisters and a brother. And I said, tell me, how, you, what's your relationship with them like? So he tells me all about his relationship with them. And I said, have you, ever, have you ever flipped to the New Testament and read the book of James? And he's like, no. I was like, well, you ought to. Do you know why? Guess who wrote the book of James? Not James the Apostle, James the brother of the guy that grew up with him, the guy that like pulled toys out of his hand, the guy that threw rocks in the Sea of Galilee, you know what I'm saying? And so I looked at this guy and I said, hey, can you imagine one of your siblings saying that you are God? And he looked at me and goes, no, I mean, he actually used an expletive. (laughs) No way. And I said, right. Can you believe that someone in James, the brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James, actually paid for his faith in his brother with his life? He was killed. So can you imagine not only writing a book that said one of your siblings was God, but take it a step further at the point of death where you're getting ready to be killed or hung or crucified or beheaded or whatever it was, where you're given an opportunity to recant that your brother is God. You refuse to recant on the point of death and pay for your belief with your very life. Can you imagine that? And he said, I've never thought about that. I said, you ought to. Because Jesus is the God of the Bible. Genesis to Revelation. I've never seen him again, the guy. I've never seen him again. I look for him at the gym. I always want to find him and go, hey, did you ever think about that? But he just said, wow, okay, I'm going to go read the book of James. I said, great, great. Read the book of James. Jesus is real. Okay, so you have this group of people who are gathered here. Jesus' brothers are in the mix. His mother is in the mix. Notice, too, that Mary is like, she's, she's part of the mix. She's not leading it, but she is very, uh, she's prominent in it. She's part of it. The women are there. So you have, um, there's, there's five or six prominent women throughout the Gospels. They are all there. And I think one of the things I love, even that Luke recorded this, is there's no other religion on the planet that was started by women. It's fascinating that there's female disciples from the very beginning. You hear me talk about this from time to time. But at the very beginning, when they are gathered here, there are women praying constantly with the men, launching the New Testament church. There is no other religion anywhere. Study them, I challenge you. Every religion everywhere is founded by only men. This is the only one, and I don't even call it a religion. I think it makes a lousy religion. It's a great relationship. But this is the only one. And if there's another thing that's much bigger and more important than that that differentiates Christianity from every other faith under the sun, go study them, I would encourage you, is every other faith and religion that I have ever looked at is a human attempt to clean oneself up to earn your way into some version of paradise or next level living. You hear me? This is the only one where the king, remember, go back to the coronation, takes off his crown and he comes and meets 
us, pays the price, deals with our sin once and for all, becomes the scapegoat. That's an Old Testament thing if you want to look it up in Exodus. Becomes the scapegoat, pays the price for our sins, is crucified, dead, buried, resurrected. Then he goes back and takes up his crown, okay? And then God the Father and God the Son sovereignly send the third part of the Trinity where? Back to us. Like, do you get this? Like this Christianity thing is not just a nice idea or some cool stuff in a book. This is literally the God of the universe that continues to reach out and extend fully himself into our humanity. This is the God that meets us, that pursues us, that comes after us in the form of Jesus first, in the form of the Holy Spirit second, and then in the form of the Holy Spirit every single day question is, are we as his people even looking for and aware where God is pursuing us and meeting us and knowing us? Okay. I love here too because you have Mary sitting in this prayer meeting and she was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit 33 years earlier when she got pregnant supernaturally. Now she is about to see in Acts 2, she's going to actually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I mean, whew, so good. So 10%, if you roughly do the math here, 10% of the New Testament church is Jesus' um, immediate family. That's remarkable. That's, that's part of, um, a very small part, but that's part of what convinces me of the validity of Jesus and the witnesses um, and what they saw here. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 15, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was with his brothers. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Now, there's 50 days from the day Jesus ascended. So well, let's backtrack a second. Jesus is crucified from the time he um, resurrects from the dead. There's 40 days until he ascends. Then from the time he ascends, there's 50 days until... Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is released, the third part of the Trinity sort of comes. Um, now, it says that in verse 14, they all join together constantly in prayer. For how many days? Can you imagine? I wonder how many times in this 50-day prayer meeting, somebody was like, I'm done, I quit, I give up. You don't think that happened to you. They were holy, special people. They were different from you and me. They had it all together. Nobody ever doubted. They never questioned. They never went, y'all are all crazy. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, brothers and sisters. Now, who was Peter? Peter the apostle. And what has Peter most recently, 40 days ago, done? Denied Jesus. How many times? Okay, so 40 days later, after this huge egregious sin, I wonder what is going on inside of him before he stands up. So in other words, Jesus has reinstated him the three times. Jesus has lifted him up. Jesus has positioned him to be the first pastor of the first church. And there's a number of places in all the, all the um, gospels that you can see that Jesus truly commissioned him to be the first pastor of the first church. But I wonder how many days went by where Peter had an inkling from the Holy Spirit to like stand up, to get up, to start leading. And out of Peter's shame and guilt and inadequacy and not feeling good enough and I don't know enough and I haven't walked long enough and it's only been 40 days since I denied him three times and I'm worthless and I'm not good enough to be the pastor. How many days do you think went by before he got up and worked up the courage to stand up and say, brothers and sisters, I don't know. We don't know what day this happened on, but what I'm always attempting to do is humanize the people we read about in the Bible so that you and I can have access points because Peter is not all that different than you and I. And we can walk with Jesus in the same powerful ways. And if this Jesus did what we just read in the Gospel of John, we just came through the Gospel of John, everything that Jesus did on the earth, he did with the infilling power of who? The Holy Spirit and the disciples, which we're reading about now, are launching into the book of Acts. And we're going to see all the things that they do with the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Then you and I, living today in 2022, have filled with the same who? Holy Spirit should go and do likewise. 
So the idea here of even like wrestling this out is to help you and I go, don't think for a minute that when I get up here to preach, I don't have insecurity. Don't think for a minute when Daniel and Missy get up here to lead, they don't have insecurity or second guessing. And don't think for a minute that the apostle Peter, before he got up to took his, take his place as the first pastor of the first church, didn't sit around and second guess himself. Now, turn the tables, pivot into your own life. Where has God called you to stand up and to do something, to begin to speak, to begin to lead, to begin to appropriate faith, to begin to declare the kingdom of God, to begin to share the good news of Christ Jesus, to begin to be full of the joy and the power and the hope of God? And where are you still, perhaps, sitting in your shame or insecurity? And we all do it. Okay, side note, keep going. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, brothers and sisters, by the way, they're all still scared who's going to come and kill them. Yeah, don't forget that. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke about long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So Judas served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. Okay. Uh, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. Um, uh, Let me make a note here, and if you you can study it in your own time, but Matthew 27, if you read that, this verse 18 appears to contradict that verse, and I don't don't think it's a contradiction. I've had people point that out to me. I don't think it's a contradiction. Um, Basically, what Luke is saying and what Matthew's saying in, in Matthew 27 is that the money that Judas got, the 30 pieces of silver, was used to purchase a plot of land where Judas killed himself. So whether Judas purchased it or whether the Pharisees purchased it or however he got it, I don't think it matters. But he goes on. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. It's a little graphic, I'm sorry. But if you read Matthew 27, Judas apparently hung himself, and in the process, I don't know if the rope broke, he fell head first, and his intestines split out when when he hit the ground. Verse 19, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Acaldamia, that is the field of blood. Now, why is it called the field of blood? Not because of Judas's blood, amazingly. Because it was purchased with blood money. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver, With the money, a field was purchased where he happened to kill himself. It's called the field of blood. Verse 20, for Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms. Now, um, Peter quotes two different Psalms. So so this is is important, and there's a couple important points here. But verse 20, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. Now, he's referencing Peter is making application to who? Judas, let there be no one to dwell in it. Okay, so he's saying from the beginning of time in this messianic or Davidic, if you want to use like seminary word, Psalm, um, it's Psalm 69, 25, if you want to make a note and go there. But he's quoting it and he's saying this was an Old Testament prophetic foretelling that Judas was going to betray Jesus. David um, sort of foretold it or prophesied it in the Old Testament. Peter's now been doing what? Studying his... Bible, that's right, his Old Testament scrolls. He doesn't have the New Testament, so he's using it um, to make his decision. May his place, Judas's, be deserted. Let there be no one um, to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. So now he's quoting Psalms 109, verse um, 8, right there. So I want to keep going because we're going to come back to this um, in in just a minute. But I do think it's interesting. Uh, Let's let's just keep reading, and then we'll come back to it in a minute. Verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So for that three years of ministry, right? Verse 22, beginning from John's baptism, that's John the who? Baptist, that's right. John the baptizer, whoever said that, I like that. John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up, uh, taken up from us and ascended into heaven. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So 
it's interesting because Peter right here is defining apostle as someone who was there when John baptized Jesus, the heavens opened, the dove came down, and saw the life and ministry of Jesus all the way through death, resurrection, um, and then ascension. Now, was the apostle Paul an apostle in this sense? No. You hear that? In other words, if you, if you use this definition to define an apostle, can there be any more of them? No. Now, if you broaden an apostolic definition and think of an apostolic uh, leader as someone who is more entrepreneurial or over many pastors or over churches or over mission organizations, I think you can still have people who are gifted apostolically. But are there and will there ever be more original apostles? No. So, uh, Peter felt called as the first pastor of the first church to replace um, uh, Judas because in the end, there's 12 tribes of Israel. In Revelation, it goes all through how there must be 12, um, the 12 apostles, the 12 original apostles. So, Peter feels called to um, choose someone to take the place of Judas. Now, in, I'm not going to go there, but in Acts 12, James, like James and John, the sons of thunder, um, James is actually killed by King Herod. Now go here with me just a minute. Do, do any of you who know your Bibles, um, does uh, the New Testament church replace James as an apostle? No. Why? Why would we replace Judas... But we don't replace James when he's killed. In other words, James is the first of the 12 who were martyred. Only one of the 12 wasn't martyred for their faith. But here it is in short, is there must have been uh, 12 who would testify on behalf of Jesus who were witnesses from the beginning um, all the way to the ascension of Christ. Okay, verse 23. So they proposed the names of two men, Joseph, called uh, Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. You know, we're, we're so, like, fair-based. Can you imagine us? Like, that one, one person's chosen and the other's not. I mean, I wonder, how, I wonder how their feelings felt. Verse 25 to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Now let's, let's go there for just a second and I'm going to open up two things. To take over this apostolic ministry and the apostolic ministry, the job is to testify that I saw Jesus baptized. I saw the dove descend. I saw his life in ministry. I saw what's worked out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I saw him crucified, dead, buried. I saw him resurrected. I testify and then I saw him Ascend. That's the job. So that's what, what uh, is, is literally being said here. They needed someone to take that spot that Judas left, to go to the place where he belongs. What are they saying about Judas? Come on. This is church. Yeah, hell is not a curse word here. Hell, hell means eternal darkness or separation from God. It basically means Judas rejected God, and so God... Rejected Judas. Okay, he got what he wanted. Verse 26, then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. I wonder how the other guy felt. Okay, let's talk about a couple things and, and see if we can tie this um, together. How does Peter find God's will and way? This is important. I'm going to give you five things. How does Peter find God's will and way? Number one, he prays and seeks God. How do you find God's will and way? Pray and seek God. Number two, he searches the scripture. Why am I always saying, get into one of your Bible, get into one of your Bible. Before you like get up and start rolling with your day, God has something he wants to speak to you. Get into one of your Bible. Peter's searching the scripture. Number one, he prays and seeks God. Number two, Peter's searching the scriptures. Number three, Peter actually feels like he's heard an answer in Psalm 69 and Psalms 109. And then number fourth, he takes the answer to the other apostles and the disciples. Hey, we need to appoint someone new to take his place. And then, this is very unusual, number five, which I'm not going to recommend. We're going to talk about it quickly as we end. He actually casts 
Lots. Very interesting. Now, <clears throat> um, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Um, casting lots in the Old Testament, it's not described really, really well, um, but, but there's something beautiful about it. It's like dice, um, or it may have been a bag of little smooth river rocks with a mark on each of them. Um, so you cast lots, uh, but, but you are taking out of human hands the decision. Does that make sense? That's the beautiful part of it. So they're taking out of human hands the decision for who's going to be the next um, apostle. So Old Testament, just give you kind of a flyover. The distribution of all the priestly offices was decided by casting lots, 1 Chronicles 24. The division of land in the 12 tribes of Israel and Joshua went into the promised land or, or Jerusalem was decided by... Casting lots, okay. Um, some of um, the lot casting was done to solve problems, as in Nehemiah 10, if you want to cross-reference me there. Uh, in Leviticus 16.8, lots are actually cast to decide which of the two goats would be sacrificed. Um, there's also a very unusual thing in the Old Testament called the Urim and Thummim, which are sort of a casting lots to decide the will of God. Now, um, remember with me that we are exiting, if you, if you think of the canon of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, we are exiting what part of the Bible? The Old Testament, and we are entering the... Okay, so technically speaking, as Jesus is resurrected, and as the Holy Spirit is now getting ready to be given in Acts chapter 2, we are in the transition from the... to the... So... Is Peter honoring God at this moment before the Holy Spirit has been given? They're gathered in an upper room. They talk about these two guys. They say we need to fill his place. Um, we're going to now uh, select the two guys, and we're going to cast lots. We're going to roll dice, and we're going to see who's going to be the next apostle. Does that honor God? Yes. Now, once what's getting ready to happen in Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit, remember the third part of the Trinity, is going to be sent to actually fill us. Once he's sent, does casting lots honor God? No. If we did it today, it'd be like an eight ball thing. Can you imagine? I mean, if we need a new lead team member, can you imagine going, hey, let's all get together and we'll shoot some Yahtzee. I got an idea. Maybe we should invest in this, this thing over here as a church. Let's get together and shake some so I, what you have to be very careful of here is this is the last time in the Bible anyone cast lots. And it is the end of the Old Testament because what is beginning to happen and what characterizes the fullness of the New Testament church is the infilling power of the Spirit. So who dwells inside of you if you're in Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Now, we can talk about baptism in the Spirit. We'll talk about that in the days to come. But if Jesus is inside of you, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, do you need an eight ball? Do you need to cast lots? You can begin to seek God and expect that he is going to speak to you in a direct and immediate way in his word, in a sense in your mind. And what I love about Peter is once he had the sense of who or what should be done, he went to the other apostles and all the disciples, male and female, and he said, this is what I think is happening. And they all got together and talked about it and made a decision and moved forward. Isn't that powerful? But listen to me, if I could like grab us and say anything, as we exit the Old Testament, enter the New Testament, this is the God that comes and takes up residence inside of you, and you can begin to access this unseen kingdom of God day by day, moment by moment, living and dwelling and abiding, albeit imperfectly at times, with him and him in you. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's why we actually get together and sing songs and read the Bible and praise the way we do because we are in a Jesus journey alongside one another. So in the New Testament, as we enter into Acts, what you begin to see is we're called to be filled with the Spirit. We're called to be surrendered to his lordship. Whose lordship? Jesus. And we're called to be seeking his will and way. And we all must be careful that we don't get our own agendas mixed up in his will and way. And we all have that because there's some remaining sin in our hearts. Be at peace. It's okay. Okay. Let me tie it up like this. As we, you can come on out if you want, Rick. Come on. As we read the book of Acts here, we got to read it. I think we read it for enlightenment. Um, I think we read the book of Acts for emulation. I think we read the uh, book of Acts for encouragement. And if I could, like, call us to something as a church, it's this. Eleven men 
and then 120 men and women, and then 500 men and women on the day of Pentecost. Anybody know how many were added that day? 3,000. So now we're at 3,500 men and women. And in um, 300 years, let me double check, 300 years from the day of Pentecost, the Roman Empire became officially what? Christian. Now get something here with me. When I think of the church, I think of the church universal, the, the church big. There's two and a half billion Christians on planet earth. We are a small part of that. I'm not demeaning our church or our size. If we were 50 or if we're 50,000, I'd still say we're a small church because we're part of the... Okay, get this a second. 11 people trust Jesus fully surrender their lives to him, cast themselves upon him, begin to walk with him imperfectly, fail, sin, mess up, ask each other's forgiveness, plant churches, get in arguments, plant more churches, spread the gospel, preach Jesus. And the 11 becomes 12, which becomes 120, which becomes 500, which becomes 3,500, which becomes the most uh, the superpower of the day, 300 years later, declaring the nation is, how'd they do that? There's one answer. The in power of the God the Father and God the Son, King Jesus takes his place beside God the Father, crowned again, the Lord of life. And God the Father and God the Son sovereignly in 50 days that we're gonna see next week and the weeks that follow, send the Holy Spirit into his church and his bride to prepare them for the ultimate return of King Jesus. Come on. If the New Testament church can walk with him the way they did, I believe in a church today that can walk with him the same way. They can hear him the same way. They can follow him the same way. They can believe in them for the supernatural. They can fail and mess up and clean it up and ask forgiveness and get up and do it again. What if we dared? What if we dared, small as though we are, to believe Jesus, that the infilling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit wants to live in your life and my life? And what if we believed like they believed and allowed him to work in us and through us? What might he do in your life and mine? Come on, will you go there with me? Will you? It's messy, doesn't look perfect. We're gonna step on each other's toes. We're gonna have to ask each other's forgiveness. We're gonna figure it out as we go. Will you? Go there, will you? As we close, if our prayer team will come up and be present up here, that would be great. But more than our prayer team, here's what I wanna invite you into. If you'd be willing to step up in your heart, doesn't matter what you do externally, but if in your heart, you'd be willing to step up and go, Lord Jesus, I wanna, I wanna have faith for that kind of transformation, not just in me, but in this church and in this city and in this state and in this nation. If you would be willing to partner with him and with me in that, will you stand and sing this last song? If you need special prayer, feel free to come up here for special prayer. If you've never given your life to this Jesus, I'm gonna be right here next to Matthew Beatty. I'd love to pray with you. He'd love to pray with you. But let's sing this thing out with everything we've got and let's declare before the heavenlies that we are going and he is living in us and through us. surrender this is my surrender 
Lord Jesus, we actively make room for you. Holy Spirit, we actively make room for you. And Father, we invite you to mess up our plan with your will and your way. Father, we invite you to take up your place as the head of this church and the head of the church. You are the pastor. You are the high priest. You are the one that paid it all so that we can live. And Father, I pray that you would come and you would resurrect a group of men and women who would be willing to trust you to do in their hearts and their lives and a church that would trust you to do in its heart and its life what you did in the New Testament, what you did in the book of Acts. Father, would you awaken the church, the larger church, the international church around the globe? And Lord, would you allow us to take up our place as a group of believers preparing the body of Christ for the return of the King? Father, would you speak to us? Would you change us? Would you form us? And Lord Jesus, we would offer our bodies, our minds, our souls, our marriages, our families, our kids, our roommates, our singleness, wherever we come from, we would offer it to you as a living sacrifice like you did for us. We give it to you, Jesus. Would you inhabit your people today? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.